carry over with the songs we're singing for today's message, which is really cool and providential at the same time. I always like when we uh, when these messages align, align the way that they do with the songs we sing. But John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18 is our passage for today. And we have our title of the message. By this we know love. Uh, kind of fitting for Valentine's Day, right? A message about love. Um, going to talk about why, why we're there uh, concerning the resurrection and, all, and everything. May seem a little different with the title considering what we're going to read in the passage, but I'll, I'll tie it together for us. So I believe everyone's there. Yeah, it looks like everyone's there. So let's go ahead and read um, John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. This is our passage for today. This is the word of the Lord. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the, to, to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let us pray. Dear only Father, we come to you again, Lord, thankful for this day. Thank you for your word. It is your word that brings life. Uh, it is you. And you crucified is what Paul sought to know. Um, that's what we seek to know today. Uh, we just want to know you better, Lord. So we pray through this time today that that's what we are able to gain, a better understanding of who you are, what you have done, and how we are to live in light of that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and give you thanks. Amen. All right. So as you saw the title, uh, by this we know love. Uh, that's that's kind of where we're going to be at. So the question I wanted to ask is, what is love? How do we know what love is? Is it the way that I feel about my, my wife, about my kids, uh, about the, the church, uh, or the way I feel when someone, you know, gets me a gift, a surprise that's, that's very thoughtful? Is that what love is? Um, Lee mentioned it during his, during his message about these terms that get thrown around a lot today, unity and love and different things like that, and felt like it was important for us to, as, you know, as I was doing my prep time, it kind of worked together providentially, but we hear these words a lot, and, and they can mean almost anything. You know, we love our sports teams, we love our favorite food. Love is just kind of one of those things that just gets thrown around very loosely, but um, how do we define love? If someone was to ask, well, what is love? And, you know, we can go to scripture. Scripture teaches, teaches us what love is. It's patient, it's kind, does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it's not self-seeking, irritable, it keeps no record of wrong. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth, it always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres, and it never fails. God demonstrates his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Jeremiah, we are told that uh, God tells us that he has loved us with an everlasting love. Therefore, he has continued his faithfulness to us. Amen. I think that deserves an amen, right? This is like a wonderful truth that we have, that he, because of his love, it's everlasting. He continues in his faithfulness to us. And with that in mind, if we have been loved with an everlasting and eternal love, that tells us that the only reason we have the ability to love is because he first loved us. So we all know and love John 3.16, right? You see that on you know, the eye pain and billboards all over the place. But first John 316 is very similar and another great verse. And it says this, by this, we know love that he laid down his life for us. That's first John 316, another verse that would be easy to uh, commit to memory. This is the love that we know. This is the love that the disciples knew. This is the love that Mary Magdalene knew. It was love that caused her to weep outside the tomb as we read through our passage. Uh, and, and not only to weep, but to weep in a manner where she didn't even recognize that angels were in front of her or that Jesus was there for that matter. And this is a love that God demonstrates through Jesus Christ for his people. This is the love that brought Jesus back from the dead. And this is the love that empowers his people to preach in boldness. This is the love that comforts us in our deepest and darkest times. So as we're going to spend some time walking through our passage today, that's what I want us to see is God's love at work through, uh, throughout this passage and how he reminds us of just how faithful and trustworthy he is in the good times and in the bad. So since I kind of took this roundabout way to kind of explain where we are, what we're going to go, uh, where we're going today, let me reread our first chunk of scripture. We're going to uh, focus first on verses 11 through 15. Let me reread that for us. It says this, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. So the, the focal person in this part of our story is Mary Magdalene. She's another way of saying Mary of Magdala. This was a town that she was from. Uh, the scriptures teach us that she was a demon possessed woman. Uh, and for some reason, um, and, I, and I can't seem to figure out why I was trying to do some research on it, but she's also thought to be a prostitute. A lot of, a lot of uh, I guess you've probably heard that before, that people think of her as a prostitute, but there's no scriptural backing for that. Apparently that was something that was brought up by some preachers or uh, a pope or something thousands of years ago, and um, there's no biblical backing for it. So uh, I don't know why that's brought up, but she was a demon-possessed woman. Of, of, if anything, that was what her biggest issue was. And so when we typically think of um, demon possessions, this was actually a conversation we had with some folks uh, this week. We kind of think of these violent outbursts because we see this in a lot of the demon possessions that Jesus casting out these demons. But not only did he do violent outbursts, there was the, uh, the, the one who was mute, the one that would throw himself into fire, right? There's these different examples, just in the New Testament alone, of different types of demon possessions. 
Uh, now, what we do know about demon possessions beyond what we see in movies like The Exorcist or Exorcism of Emily Rose or whatever movies there, there are out today, I know there's tons of them, uh, is that demon possession could take any form of sinful behavior. I mean, if we really think about it, when a demon possesses someone's will, all they can do is sin. So just imagine any kind of rampant sinful behavior, that could be a demon possession. So what we can conclude about Mary is that she more than likely had a very sinful lifestyle before Jesus casted out these seven demons that are mentioned in Luke 8. So if we think about that and we kind of think about what the potential was in this time for Mary, right? She is, she is a woman in the first century here in Palestine, and, and this was considered, she was considered a second-class citizen. Her, her testimony would not be considered permissible in court. She wouldn't be a valid witness if somebody was murdered, she wouldn't even, you wouldn't, if she was, if it was three people there, the murderer, the victim, and a woman, she wouldn't be able to testify in a court of law because she was a woman. And so that kind of lets you know the view of women during this time, according to the people, the culture of that day. Um, so she's already at a disadvantage from that point, right? Just being a woman. But not to mention she was a woman, she was also possessed by seven demons. And so if we know seven demons were in her life, it wasn't just one. We had seven of them roaming around inside of her, ruining her life, causing her to do only God knows what, right? We're not told, but God knows the, the tons of bad decisions, regrets, and sinful behaviors that she part, uh, partook in. So with, as I kind of pondered that and, and thought about that, you know, I kind of thought about, you know, try to be introspective when I think about things, these things. But, you know, you ladies that are here today, you know, if you think about the way your life was before Christ, uh, the things that you may have allowed yourself to partake in or things that you've experienced. Um, I think all of us, men and women, have regrets, but I would, I would venture to guess none of us were demon-possessed, right, where we committed sins to, to that extent. Um, but what often happens with us today with the sinful lifestyle that we've had, the regrets that we've had, the things that have been done to us or the things we've done to others, there's tons of regret that causes us to either think less of ourselves uh, to think that we're unforgivable or that we're damaged goods, right? I, I think that's safe to say that that's the way a lot of times uh, we will view ourselves. And it's, in one sense, it's not wrong for us to view ourselves that way. And I, and I want to explain. Listen to what's written in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read 9 and 10 for shock value, and then I'm going to read 11. So just stick with me, okay? So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Right, all of those things, these things disqualify someone from heaven. But then it doesn't stop there. That's not where the, the, the thought stops. Verse 11 says this, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. It should get us an amen, right? This is a beautiful truth that we have from the Word of God. Yeah, damaged goods, sure, why not? But you were washed, you were justified, you were glorified, you were, you were washed and sanctified by God. This is, this is wonderful news that we hear. So when we read these things, Mary is included in these words that Paul is talking about. You and I are included in these words that Paul is talking about here. If you feel like your sin debt was greater 
than anyone else around you, just remember the words that we heard Jesus speak in the Gospels. Well, he who is forgiven little loves little. He who is forgiven much loves much. Mary loved Jesus. She knew apart from Christ, there was nothing in life. But with Christ, her life was so much sweeter. But this, this, is, where, this is where Mary's mindset is in this time, right? This, this is who she knew who Christ was. But then let's, let's kind of back up in chapter 18 and 19 and see what happened. Jesus was beaten. He was, well, he was arrested. He was beaten. He was killed. He was buried. She goes to the tomb and now the body's gone, right? So think about that. She's heartbroken. She's hurt. She's confused. She's lost. She's hopeless. She doesn't know what's going on in this time. So just like us, when we are hopeless, when we are broken, when we are confused and hurt about things that are going on in our lives, we weep too. This is, this is what's going on with Mary. She wept for her Lord. Even at the sight of two angels, she was not broken from this sadness and mourning that she was going through. She was inconsolable. If you think about it, where else do we see in Scripture when an angel approaches someone that that they, they don't even realize it's an angel in front of them, right? You think about any, they're always saying, do not fear, do not fear. Uh, you know, I, I come bringing good tidings of great joy. You know, like these, this is the kind of language that's used. We don't know what these angels look like, but I can only imagine either how freaky they looked, how large, they just, they didn't look human, obviously, you know, to, for, for people to see this, but that didn't break her out of this sadness, this depression that she was in. She was so distraught that she had no, no way to be terrified. <clears throat> but the language that we see here, I think, follows that. When we think of this word weeping, this word to weep isn't a simple cry. It's, it's a wailing or a, a moaning cry. It's what we would call today an, an ugly cry. That, that, that's the type of crying that she was experiencing in this moment. So she's questioned about her weeping, and in her despair, she just wants to know where the Jesus' body is. That's all she wants to know. Right, as she's crying and she's in this moment of weakness and mourning and, and struggle, just tell me where Jesus' body is. Right, she says, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Right, so she's saying, if I could only know where his body is, I'll be okay. Just tell me where he is and I, and I could deal with it. Now, when I think about that, I think about the way we think, right? Have you ever thought like that before? Maybe not those exact words, but if I can only know why I'm going through this, I'll be okay. I, I can deal with it, right? Why I lost my job, why I lost a child, why whatever, I've been divorced, whatever the case may be, why am I going through this pain? Just If I just knew why, I can deal with it just that much better. <clears throat> and so as I thought about this, you know, I see this in Mary and I, and I see it in myself. I I've thought about this question a lot this week, if I'm being honest, right? Considering where Pastor and Alicia are, like, why can't they get better? Why, why, do they, why does it just keep compounding the things that they're going through, right? We first hear he gets hospitalized, can't get his oxygen up, Alicia can't feel better, then Allura wasn't feeling good, and all these things were just compounding what they were going through. And it's like, man, can't we just get something? You know, just, just tell them, if they can just figure out what it is and, and you know, we can get over this hump, It'll be okay, right? Just, just tell me where the body is. I, I can be okay. But as I thought about that, as the question was posed to me by, by people from here in our church, 
The thing that I'm reminded of and that I'm comforted with, even though it's hard to say it this way, is God doesn't owe us any answers. He, he doesn't know that. He doesn't owe that to us. God sits in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. That's what we are told. So all I need to know is whatever he has brought into their life, it is for their good and for his glory. Right? It, it, I don't have to like it. I don't have to like it one bit, but it's for their good and it's for his glory. So it's never, ever easy, but it's never, ever in vain. When we are Christ's people, all of it is for our good. All of it is for his glory. So what happens next? Jesus repeats the same question in our passage. He repeats the same question that the angels ask. And still wanting to know where the body is, he doesn't realize that the body is right in front of him. Or excuse me, right in front of her. And so I thought about that as well. How often is the answer right in front of us, but we want to deny that? Right? We don't want to see the answer for what it is. Right? We, we want the answer that we are looking for. It's got to be something else. Tell me where I can find my answer. Right? I'm telling you what that, no, no, no. I, I want to know this, the answer to this question. Tell me the answer to this question. But do we see, I don't know, I think we see that clearly in our passage. Think about how Jesus speaks to her. Woman, why are you weeping? And, and once again, when woman is used here, it's like us saying, Madam, today. Ma'am, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Right, this is what Jesus is asking her. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Right, he's, he's right there in front of her. What is her response? Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Right, she's seeking the answer for what she wants, the body, and he's asking her, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? He's right there. She wants the answer, and he is the answer. So who or what are we taught to seek? Right, when, when, what does scripture tell us that who or what uh, are, excuse me, who or what are we are we taught to seek, right? When we're looking for these answers, she's seeking for the body. What are we taught to seek and who are we taught to seek? Well, Matthew 6 tells us we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to us. <clears throat> yeah, once again, I'm like, amen, right? Yeah, this is what we need to hear. This is what we need to hear today. I, and honestly, maybe, maybe this is what it is. Maybe it's me preaching to myself right now, because honestly, this is, this is what I needed. This is what I needed this week. This is what's helped me get through this week, is the fact, I mean, the fact that Pastor and them are on their road to recovery now is great, but this is what I've been going through th over the course of this week. So, yeah, maybe, this, maybe I need to stand on that side and <laughs> preach to myself. But uh, let's keep going. We're going to look at verses 15 and 16 now. We're going to kind of move along. I want to reread verse 15 along with verse 16 to give us the context again. So this is our next point. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This is, this is awesome. I, I love this. I, I, it's so wonderful to see and, and to kind of put yourself in that picture, Jesus said to her, Mary, right? He calls her by name, Mary. She didn't know who he was until he called her by name, right? In John chapter 10, Jesus tells the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name 
and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Mary was so caught up in what she wanted, she couldn't see Christ standing right in front of her. Right? Let me, let me say that again. Mary was so caught up in what she wanted, she couldn't see Christ standing right in front of her. But the one thing that was unmistakable was the word of God. Right? When Jesus spoke to her, she knew exactly who he was. He knows Mary by name. He knows you by name. Now, when we think about it, what brings peace in a time of suffering? It's Christ and his word. That's, that's all we have. What did Jesus do to calm the raging sea, right? When he was in the boat and it was tossing to and fro and they thought they were going to die. The the disciples thought they were going to die. He spoke and immediately the waters were stilled. Remember the quote that I've had from Jeremiah earlier. God has loved us with an everlasting love. Therefore, he has continued his faithfulness to us. He has continued his faithfulness to us. His love is what brings peace and surpasses understanding. He says in Isaiah this way when speaking of the suffering servant, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Thank you, Lord. He has borne our griefs and he has carried away our sorrows. But it was his death that brought us peace and healing. Now, this verse gets brutalized and perverted all over the place. You've probably seen this multiple times when people quote it to claim some kind of divine healing over people and things like that. And is God able to do that? Absolutely. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But if we read the context here, what kind of peace and what kind of healing are we offered from these verses? Well, I think the thing we have to recognize is these bodies are wasting away daily. Day by day, they're wasting away. Our spirit is being renewed all the time. This is a tent that we're in right now, and we are sojourners passing through this creation. So there's no reason that he has to heal us physically. Spiritually is where we need the healing. When God saves us, It's heart surgery, right? He takes this heart of stone out and he gives us a heart of flesh. That's the healing that we need. Lazarus was raised to life, right? He was sick and died. He was raised alive just to die again, right? He didn't grant, God didn't grant him some amazing, miraculous, divine healing in the sense that he never had to experience pain again. He had to die twice, right? He had to die twice, But that healing that we get is this sick, deceitful heart is removed. And we get a heart that yearns and desires to please him with it. It removes sin and guilt and shame and the enmity that we once had with God. And it brings about peace. We are no longer enemies of God, but we are counted amongst his elect. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, all to the praise of his glorious grace. That's how we know true love. That is an everlasting love. 
Now let's look at verses 17 and 18. It says this, Jesus said to her, do not cling to, or yeah, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her and that he had said these things to her. I always mess up when I read that part. So this verse 17 starts off by saying, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Now, if you're reading from the King James or there's a couple other translations that do this, it says, do not touch me, right? Do not touch me. Uh, so this is, you know, who knows what this would have meant three, 400 years ago when the King James was written. But today, it more than likely doesn't carry the same understanding that we have today. But we do know that it doesn't mean for him not to, for her not to touch him in the sense of a physical touch because he let Thomas touch his hands and his side. Uh, he ate the fish when he was with the disciples. Uh, you know, he spent all this time with them. It, 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 it doesn't carry the meaning of just touching. Also, in Matthew 28, the other women, as they left to tell the disciples, they fell and grabbed his feet and worshipped him. So what does it mean? Well, I think the ESV, the NASB, and even the NIV have a better translation or better rendering of these words when they say, do not cling to me, uh, stop clinging to me, or do not hold on to me. The reason I say that is because if we think about Mary in this time, uh, he, he, she had gone this, this, this time without him, right? So when she sees him, she is just exuberant, excited, just full of joy and just want, doesn't want to let him go, right? Doesn't want to let him go. Who, who would, right? If you saw Jesus, who would want to let, who would want to let him go? And we don't, we're not told specifically, but Jesus knows her heart, right? And so there could be these mixed emotions of, I love you and I want to be with you and I never want to see you go again, right? I think it's safe for us to assume when he's saying cling to me, there is this desire for her to not let him go anywhere outside of her sight uh, or just to not go and do the works that he's called to do. And that's what we know that Jesus still needs to do. He still needs to ascend to the Father. He needs to sit at the right hand of God as the, our great high priest, as our intercessor to pray to God on our behalf. That work still needed to be done. And so that's, that's when, when I look at these, these verses here, uh, that's the understanding that I've come to. I could be wrong, but it, it, it makes sense, right? Uh, God has to, Jesus, God is Jesus, God in Jesus has to go and, but he didn't leave us, right? He didn't leave us. He sent a helper who would come in his place. As his word tells us, he will never leave us, never forsake us. And so God in the Holy, God, the Holy Spirit uh, would be the one who is more than capable to bring peace, comfort, and joy in the same way that Christ did while he was here in the flesh. These, this is what he was uh, sent to do. The father elected a people Christ died for those people, and the Holy Spirit is the one gathering those people. This is what we call the covenant of redemption. Uh, this is a covenant made between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we see this throughout Scripture. It's kind of, you have to kind of, as you read all of Scripture, you kind of, you can, you can come to this conclusion of this uh, covenant, but specifically we can see it in Psalm 2, verses 6 through 9, when it says this, As for me, I have set my king... Uh, on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. 
You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. This speaks of the work decreed by the Father, accomplished by the Son, uh, the Son being the anointed one that's mentioned. Psalm 2 is about the anointed one. And we know the anointed one is Christ. Listen to what else Jesus tells her in this verse, or in verses 17 and 18. He says, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary is adopted into the family of God, right? This is what we see here. It doesn't matter if she was possessed by seven demons or a thousand demons. It doesn't matter if she committed heinous acts of sin, embarrassing sins. Uh, It doesn't matter what, what the case was, the shame, the regret of living the life that she lived, doing the things that she did. None of that matters. Why doesn't it matter? Because Christ died for those sins. Christ died for all of it, past, present, and future. And I don't think we understand the depths Christ went to free us from the sins we've committed. I think that's something that we regularly forget as we think about what Christ has done. Yeah, it's good for us to uh, mourn our sin and to hate our sin and to uh, feel shame for our sin. All these things are good. They are leading us back to Christ and our need for him and our less... um, leading us to, to less rely on ourselves through this life. But we, we have to recognize what Christ has done for us. He's not learning of our sins as we commit them. He's not flinching as we commit the sins, even as Christians. right? We have to remember that Christ paid our sin debt once and for all, past, present, and future. When he said it was finished, it was finished. He meant it. He is my father, and your father. He is my God and your God. So as we close, I just want to reiterate Jeremiah 31 3. This is the verse that I've read twice, I believe, already. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. He has shown us love through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and it has been poured out on his disciples here on Mary and then us today. So I ask again, what is love? How do we know what love is? Well, by this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Now, as our music team comes back up, we are going to have a time of reflection, reflection and prayer as the song plays. Uh, Feel free to uh, pray at your seat, Uh, get with someone else and pray. Just let's make sure that we are dwelling on the things that have been discussed and uh, spend that time wisely. And then after we spend that time, we can continue in song with uh, with our music team. But let us pray.